Blog Talk Radio. everyone, welcome in to Loretta McNary Live Present. <laughs> I'm so excited about this side of the radio show interview, and we already have callers that are waiting to speak to our phenomenal guest, Dr. Patricia O'Gorman, and I thank you guys so much for your patience. I was on the other side interviewing uh, another person, another phenomenal um, woman, uh, talking about business strategies and exit strategies, and I'm just so excited. Now we get to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is um, the resilience of women, and um, that's the title of the resilient woman is actually the title of our guest book, and I am hoping I'm going to go to the right person. Um, I have several calls, and I'm not sure which line Dr. Patricia is on, so I'm going to assume that she is at Erico 518. If not, I will go to another call and try. Let's hope this is um, Dr. Gorman. Let's t- let's try 504. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Dr. Is this Dr. Gorman? Uh, no, this is Michelle Seiler-Toco. Okay, Michelle. We had just a little mix-up with everything. I think you've been holding. I was on the other um, line for your interview. So we will just have it here, and I will ask Dr. Gorman to give us a little time to talk. And I've already done your introduction, uh, Michelle. Tell your business. I've read some of the testimonials that are on the back, and we've been talking about the different chapters. So we can just go right in because I know your time is very limited. Great. I appreciate it. So tell us how um, you were, they were saying in your information that normally – um, less than 60% of businesses sell, but you've been able to close nearly 98% of all offers that you write. On an average, you obtain 20 to 40% higher selling price. And then one of your chapters is called, so this is a double question, one of your chapters is called um, something about don't tell everybody you're selling your business. How does that work if you're selling your business but yet you shouldn't tell someone, or am I misquoting that? No, you're not misquoting that at all. I mean, that's the number one uh, mistake that sellers make is trying to sell to the public, and the number one concern of all sellers is confidentiality. Uh, most employees, customers get spooked when they find out that the seller is selling their business, and people don't like change. The employees are, are fearful that the new owner is going to come in and terminate them. Customers are fearful that the new owner is going to come in and not provide the same level of service. And then competitors like to shout it from the rooftop and tell you not to do business with so-and-so because they're going out of business. They don't say they're selling their business. They say they're going out of business. So confidentiality is everyone's number one concern. And if you breach confidentiality, it could ruin your business from an employee's, customer's, vendor standpoint, and much more. So um, confidentiality is huge. 
the, the best way to sell your business is to hire an expert, experienced business broker who can maintain confidentiality, make sure that they qualify the buyers, and make sure that the, the buyers sign the proper non-disclosure agreements. Uh, you know, when people are looking to buy businesses, a lot of times it's competitors that are looking at those businesses for sale because they're just trying to find out competitive information. So you just it's, it's a very delicate process. And 60% of uh, sellers who attempt to sell their own business fell, and most of the time they fell because the buyer that they were working with was never qualified in the first place. Wow. That is, <laughs> and it makes so much sense when you think about it. But who would think about it? Because you think, I need to sell the business, I need to sell the business. Let me tell everybody. But you just gave us a fantastic tip. On yeah, why you know, it's funny because the real estate model, when you sell houses, the real estate agent's model is the more you tell, the more you sell. But unfortunately, in our industry, the more you tell, uh, the, the the less you sell, the more businesses you hurt that way. So confidentiality is key in our industry. Oh, I'm loving that. Oh, I'm loving it. Because, you know, we tend to have a first, uh, um, the impression that it's a one-size-fits-all. So if, you, if it's real estate, whether commercial or or uh, residential, then you do the same thing because it works on this side. Why wouldn't it work on that side? But you just gave us, uh, I mean, a profound reason as to why that does not work. Oh, wow, thank you. I told, and I was dissing on the other side. I said I would not probably, well, I would. I won't say I wouldn't sell. I used to say I would never sell my show, the Loretta McNary show. I built it. It's my heartbeat. But then that's why you your business is to make money, and long as you don't, you know, you don't have to give up too much of your personal compromises. Is I, um, if that's a word, compromises. <laughs> you should, um, you know, consider selling your business because I've heard many people say I would never sell my business. What do you say yeah. to that? Well, number one, never say never. <laughs> that's number one. Yeah. <laughs> and number two, um, I believe that all businesses, all businesses should plan their exit strategy from day one of starting or buying a business. You always have to have the end game in mind. And many people end up having to sell their business because of a catastrophic event, you know, divorce, uh, death, health issues, uh, et cetera. So you can never say you're not going to sell your business. I mean, life is not predictable and things come up. And catastrophic events cause people to sell their business all the time. But that's not mm-hmm. always the best way to sell. It's, it's, it's never good to sell because you have to sell. It's always good to sell because your business is doing well and you want to sell. Right, because desperation will start kicking in and it is it clouds your best um uh, your best wisdom when you when you're right. desperate to, to sell anything. So I like that you said that. I do. Have, do you have time to take a call? I'm not sure of this call because I kind of our team we we made a mistake. This is the first time we made this kind of mistake. But we had two guests and we had two different numbers for them. But we gave everybody the same number. So we had all our guests, all our calls calling in, for the, which is a good problem if you think about it. So you get to be introduced to Dr. Gorman's audience. She gets to be introduced to your audience and. We're going to be all happy at the end of this, I assure you. Well, I'm the business doctor, so it all fits. Yeah, you are, and and you're female, and you're so phenomenal. That's what our show is about today, just phenomenal women. You just happen to be in different industries, but the telling of it all, we are so powerful when we share information to other people, not just women, but to other people, and that we are at the top of our game. So let's see what this caller has to say. Hi, we're going to area code 703541. Did you want to join the conversation, or are you just listening? Hi, caller 703. You're on the air. 
Okay, I'm going to assume that the silence means they don't want to talk. They just want to listen. Okay, Michelle, so there was another chapter in your book that I was very, very fascinated with. As I am all 20 chapters, I just want to let you know, I have not yet finished the book because I'm taking so many notes. I'm learning so much just by reading the book. So my other That's chapter great. I'm, that I'm happy I, to hear the feedback. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I am because, you know what, <laughs> I'm I'm stuck. I'm like reading the first three chapters over and over. I'm reading my notes again, and I'm saying, you know what, this makes so much sense, but I never thought about it like this. I would have never thought about it like this. So the other one was um, tips on getting the buyer to emotionally connect with your business because, again, I was taught, or I've re- and I've read so many times that, that's one of uh, weaknesses of women is to be emotional and to use our emotions in business and take our feelings to work. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the whole the whole thrust of that chapter is that people buy based on emotions, not based on logic. And when people buy something, they have to know you, like you, and trust you, and they have to feel good about it. When you're buying a house, what do you do? You go in, you place your furniture. You look at the kid, the school that you're going to put um, put your kids in. You talk to the neighbors. It's an emotional decision. It's the same thing when you buy a business. You have to be emotionally connected to that business, otherwise you won't purchase the business. And at the end of the day, we all have our big why. Why do we want to own a business? What do we want to be known for? What do we want on our tombstone? And that why has to connect with that business. If the two don't connect, if the dots don't connect, then that buyer is not going to purchase that particular business. Now, granted, they also make decisions on logic, but they have to feel it. If they don't, if if they're not emotionally driven to purchase that business, they're not going to purchase that business. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense. I mean, that's how I operate. I really want to like myself person. I really, really do. And, And if I like that means I trust them and I'll do business with them. But if I don't like them, I don't care how wonderful the product is. If I buy it once, I will probably not buy it again. And for those who are just tuning in with us, this is Michelle Tucker. She is a phenomenal um, businesswoman. And the name of her book that we're discussing today is Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth and get a 20 to 40% higher selling price for your business and afford the lifestyle you've always dreamed of. And hopefully we always we have a lifestyle that we are dreaming of, and some of us are living that, but, you know, you got to hold on to that dream. So we have Michelle as our business expert, our business doctor, so to speak, today. And the other question I wanted to ask you, because I'm not, again, sure about your time limit. Michelle, you tell me when you, um, if you have five more minutes, if you have three more minutes, tell me. Sure, I'm, I'm good with five more minutes. I'm, I'm enjoying myself and, and enjoying the questions you're asking. And hope to provide as much beneficial information as I can to your audience. Okay, you're one. You're so wonderful. I just want to thank you for that. So my next um, question, I mean, it was a chapter on, in there on brand loyalty or, or location loyalty. What mm-hmm. is driving your customer base? Can you talk about that for a moment? Sure. You know, most people don't know this, but 95% of businesses, 95% of businesses are not branded. They're not branded. Many many people do not know who that business is and what they do. And when you're when when we're selling businesses, the first thing I find out about my client's business is I want to know is their business based on brand loyalty or location loyalty loyalty. Do customers go out of the way to purchase their products and services because of their brand, or do they come to their location 
to purchase their products and services because it's convenient. They have a convenient location. So that's number one thing that we need to know because if somebody has a great brand name and great brand recognition like Apple, like Coca-Cola, then that business is going to sell for a much higher multiple than if that business does not have brand recognition and is just based upon their location. Ooh. Now that was deep. Okay. I, I have so many <laughs> questions I could go another way with that. And you will have to uh, promise on the air so I can hold you to it that you will come back and be our guest to share more with us um, on um, selling our businesses because there's so much that goes into this. Fifteen minutes is just not enough. It's enough to whet their appetites. And I told them to go buy the book on the other side of the other show, to go buy the book so that when you come back that we could have a more uh, informed dialogue and I can ask better questions. But quickly tell us what we should ask when choosing a business broker. There are so many things. Number one, you want to find out from the business broker how long they've been in business, how long they've been selling businesses, how many businesses have they sold, what industries have they sold businesses in, what is their closing ratio, uh, how do they go about evaluating businesses, do they have a database of buyers, and how large is their buyer database, and do they have offices throughout the United States, or are they independent? Uh, are they the office owner or or an agent? And if they're an agent, do they have any decision-making authority on how to market that particular business that they're going to list? I mean, that's just a few questions. Oh, wow. You're so awesome. You can get in there and you can give us so much information, and then it's just so precise that it doesn't take you long. I can tell you an expert at that, too. So can you tell it? I told them how they can buy the book is that, your website, betterbusinessbrokers.com, and I also told them that a portion of your proceeds go to a hospital that's near and dear to my heart because it's located in my hometown, Memphis, Tennessee, and that's St. Jude that you partnered with Eric Trump um, to make this happen. So how can people reach you? People can reach me through Better Business Brokers. That's betterbusinessbrokers.com. They can also call me on our toll-free number, which is, um one eight seven seven I'm sorry, eight seven seven eight five three four two two seven. That's eight seven seven eight five three four two two seven betterbusinessbrokers dot com. And there will also be a link on our website that leads to your website. And I want to invite you, if you're ever near or in Memphis, Tennessee, please stop by my TV studio. I would love to record a TV show with you as well, Michelle. You're so awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Hopefully you can listen to Dr. Gorman. She has some tips on self-parenting, how women can heal from all those negative messages that we receive when we were growing up and even that we speak to ourselves. So she's coming up next. And I will be in touch with Almeida to see if I can get you scheduled again. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. I really enjoyed it. Okay, thanks, Michelle. Bye-bye. Okay, have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, we're going to transition, and I want to um, give my next guest such an amazing woman. She's been so very patient. Again, we made a mistake on our side. We kind of double-booked on the same um, phone number, which we don't normally do when we have guests like these amazing women. We know that we need to do them separately. But um, Dr. Gorman has patiently awaited for us, and I offer my apologies to her, too. She's the author of eight books, including the one we we're talking about today, The Re- Resilient Woman, Mastering the Seven Steps to Personal Power, Healing, um, and she has a book, Healing Trauma Through Self-Parenting. So she's so amazing. And I love how when her publicist sent me information, they talked about, uh, and I think Dr. Patricia coined this phrase, girly thoughts. 
Um, so I'm going to ask her to tell me about that. But everybody, welcome to Loretta McNary Live, the phenomenal Dr. Patricia O'Gordon. We're going to get her in and get her feedback. And like I said, she is so awesome. She held on for us, and I appreciate it. And she'll be on with us for an hour, so don't go anywhere at 12 o'clock. We'll still be talking to her, hopefully. Hi, Dr. O'Gorman. Well, hi there, Loretta. <laughs> you are the most patient woman. You deserve a medal. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm excited. Um, I'm very excited to be on your show. It's It's such a wonderful show, and it's in a city I've always wanted to visit. So I'm excited just to be talking to someone from Memphis. So. There you well, go. <laughs> you know what I want you to do? Please put us on your calendar. Come here. Do a book signing. Whatever I can do that uh, makes that very profitable for you and very productive, I'd love for you to come as I issued that invitation to Michelle um, S. Tucker to come and be on my TV side. And I tape in front of a live studio audience so we can interact with the women and get their feedback on everything and get some feed, um, some questions answered. So if you're ever in Memphis, please let me know. Keep my number. Don't throw it away. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> but I, re- I was so excited when um, I got your um, press release. And I said, I've got to get her on the show because the, the one thing that really uh, caught my attention before I read anything else was the term girly thoughts. Well, that, I love that you term. are correct. That is a term I, I did coin and I um, developed it because um, I think as women, we, we spend paragraphs talking about, you know, books, talking about what it is that is summed up in these two words, girly thoughts. And that is how we internalize all of these messages that exist in society that tell us how we should look and how we should act and um, and what we should have more of and what we should have less of and also blame us for all the consequences that happen because we haven't achieved these things. And I wrote one book on women and resilience uh, 19 years ago and decided to come back to this topic as I realized in my clinical work, I'm a psychologist, and in my speaking and women's retreats and everything I've been doing, that women still were struggling with consciously developing their resilience. And what put me over the edge was what as I began to follow all of these digitally enhanced pictures of models. So it's no longer that we are all trying to be, you know, grow five inches and, you know, be a size two. <laughs> but even those models don't look like the pictures of them because they've all been changed. It's We are pursuing a, an illusion at this point, and we're beating ourselves up in the process. And that's what Girly Thoughts is all about. You know what, you made a very valid point, and I have a girls' mentoring organization called Pink Eagles. And I tell them that all the time. I even introduce them to this wonderful product, especially for us in the media and in the limelight a lot. Photoshop is, is like one of those things that's good and bad at the same time. Yes, Because yes, yes. <laughs> if you were to see some of the people in, in person, I promise and I tell the girls this, you will walk right past them because they do not look anything like the magazine covers. They don't look like the CD covers. And even when they're walking on the red carpet, because of the makeup and the different hairstyles that they wear just 
for entertainment purposes, they don't normally look like that. And, of course, with Photoshop, not only can you add glamour and glitz, but you can also shave off inches and pounds. So that's why you would notice them because Photoshop has really created, like you say, an illusion. And we try so hard every day to reach that. We do, and I had a woman on a radio show I did recently um, call in from Reno, and she said, I'm a model. I'm 54 and a model, and I thought, oh, my God, she must be so gorgeous. So I have this whole image in my head. And she starts to share on the radio that, um, that she wakes up every morning and she looks in the mirror and she gets depressed because she doesn't look like her. And mm. for her... Who she really is is this digital image. It's not even the person who inhabits her body, who inhabits her soul. It's so sad what is happening to all of us. And the the good news and what my book is about is we can fight back all you know from that stance. We can make a difference in our own lives. And that, that is super important is that we get that message to women and girls that you can and that you are beautiful just as you are. You are so beautiful. You are, um, God created you wonderfully and uniquely and fearfully, so you remain to look like you look. Now, if you want to enhance something or you want to um, change your hair color, as long as you're doing it because you, you think it will be fun and maybe we'll add too, but not to make you more, you know, you have to realize within your soul and within yourself that you are beautiful. Now, jewelry and uh, different colors and um, tones of color on our hair and eyes, that, you know, that's just added stuff. But we got to realize that without all that stuff, we're good enough. Yes, I, I, totally, I totally agree with you, and yet that message is still not getting out. And um, we, see, we see now a whole new... Um, marketing um population which are the tweens um so it's it, it's not enough that it used to be women in fashion and then teenagers in fashion it's now prepubescent girls and uh their focus on fashion and i had a a, a woman um stop me um recently after a church service and she said you're a psychologist i need to ask you this and so you know i kind of got ready for some deep emotional issue that was about to be shared. <laughs> and she said, um, my daughter is nine, and she had a friend stay over last night, and the friend had around her neck um, a necklace that said sexy. What does that mean? And I said, I don't know, but you should ask her what she thinks that means. It's like <laughs> as adults, we're not, we're not addressing all this. We're just kind of going along with it. And it's not helpful to our children, and it's certainly not helpful to us. I agree, and it, and it seems like it's starting earlier. When you have um, shows, reality shows, which are not reality at all, most of them are not, when you have little girls who are like five and younger trying to, you know, that are being pushed to be this symbol of what beauty looks like, feels like, smells like, tastes like, and I think that is ruining little girls because we have to teach them that it's, your life is more than about being beautiful. You are more than just about being beautiful on the outside. you got to work on the inside as well. So that's why I'm right. so glad to help promote your book, The Resilient Woman, Mastering the Seven Steps to Personal Power. So how do we how do we start? Because you know what? This is not rocket science. This is not the first time this conversation has been um, yes. shared. Yes, 
And um, I think I think the game changer that I talk about in my book is to make, first of all, our resiliency conscious. I think as women, we tend to obviously rely on our resiliency. We tend to multitask like crazy. Um, we, you know, we we live our leave our paid job during the day and we go home to our second shift, if you will. Um, and so we are constantly using our resiliency, but what we're not doing is we're not saying to ourselves, you know, I've got these strengths, I've got these skills. And, you know, I've noticed that even in myself. I mean, I realized one day as I was coming home from a whole day of, of um, you know, of patience, and, and I started listening to the conversation I was having in my head. And I wasn't having the conversation of, boy, you helped that couple stay together, you got that kid back in school, you know, so-and-so is really looking at their drug use. Instead, I realized I was visualizing my laundry. And I was thinking, am I going to start with my dark load or start with my light load? And I thought, this is crazy. You've just had a full productive day, and you are now focused on your laundry. And I have about a 45-minute drive home. Um, and I thought, boy, you're not you're not enjoying your successes. You're not enjoying your strengths. You're not even noticing your strengths. You are focused on the next job. And um, that's so frequently what we as women do. We don't, we don't use our resiliency consciously. And in beginning to do that, we then shift who we are, and we begin to now step, what I call step into our power, um, mm-hmm. by consciously saying, boy, I know how to do this, or I'm going to choose not to do this. <laughs> Or I'm going to choose to defer this. Um, I, you know, we can make clear decisions that can help us. And what we are seeing happening in women's health is women's health is declining, and it's not declining because of poor medical treatment. It's declining because of the very high stress level that women have. Uh, we, we basically, um, you know, so many of us are single mothers doing a good job at work and a good job raising our kids and a bad job taking care of ourselves. So We get a gift in that. Yeah, so we need to focus on, Mm -hmm. you know, if we can do all this, gosh darn it, we got Mm -hmm. some strengths and some skills, and we can start setting up, you know, and figuring out what it is we need to do. So, you know, that's kind of the background for why I started focusing on this and focusing on, again, conscious resilience. It's not enough to take your resilience for granted. You need to consciously say to yourself, these are the skills I have, these are the solutions I have, this is what I know works for me. As women, we tend to be so focused on what works for everyone else, we forget to focus on what works for us. You are helping me personally, number one. You're reminding me of things, and and I think that's what your book is about and what this conversation is about. We know that. Well, I won't won't even make that statement because it's too generalized. Most of us know this, that we should take time out for ourselves, that we can only give what we have um, within ourselves, and if you're depleted, then you're only going to give empty whatever it is, empty love, empty care, empty support, because you can only give what you have. So... 
I just want women to understand that and to say, I need to do better at this because when you were saying, okay, we get an A in that, yes, we take good care of people, we get an A in, yes, I'm I'm fairly great at my job, I do that well, and then mm-hmm. I, I'm good at doing laundry and taking care of the home, but then how well do I take care of Loretta? How well do I take care of Dr. Patricia? How well do I take care of Susan, Debbie, Melinda? So we have we, we get an F in that. I I probably can't count on one hand, Dr. O'Gorman, women that I know personally that do a great job of taking care of themselves, and that's sad, and including myself. Yeah, it is sad, and and that is the model we bring forward to influence the next generation of women in our family. It's not just you know our friends, but you know our nieces and cousins and chil- and children. Uh, when we don't take care of ourselves, we kind of perpetuate that. And so what I'm saying to women is, come on, you know, you can use the same skills you use for everyone else for yourself. Wow. Oh, wow. That <laughs> I like that. I, and I have said uh, many times before that some of the self-talks that we do ourselves, the messages that we give to ourselves, that there's no way we would say those kind of things to our best friend or to our, or hopefully not to our child or to someone that, as a coworker, we seem to, you know, esteem people and then deplete ourselves. And that is just not the way it was intended to be at all. Right. And, you know, one way of thinking about this um, is we are the only people person that we will spend our whole life with. And, um, you know, surely as the person we will spend our whole life with, we deserve at least as much care and attention as we give those people that we will spend part of our life with. And, um, you know, it's just a, when I realized that, it was such a shift in perspective. (laughs) You know? And so that's you know so that's why I developed these seven steps, and I you know I I played around with how many to have, and went back and forth, and I thought no seven's a good number because one for every day of the week. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we have something mm-hmm. like an affir- like an affirmation or something we can hold in our head and say okay today I'm going to apply this one, you know, and to kind of keep going, so we can begin to shape our lives around what we need based on our strengths. Mm. And we tend to do it the opposite. What we we base what we need on our weaknesses. Yes. Mm. Yes. And, we, oh and, my. and what other? And we base what we need on how we can take care of those people who are around us. What's left over? Us. Yeah. Yeah. Say they need us, and you know and they do need us. But frequently, women get pulled into all sorts of things that they really don't have to deal with. You know, <laughs> the other person can deal with quite well. Thank you very much. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So you said some. You said the breeders would discover, um, and my computer just decided that it wanted to have a mind of its own today. You said something that I wanted to really talk about: how to self motivate by losing the victim mentality. And and we are talking about victim when we start blaming our lack on. You know, we don't have enough time, or we we com- we do things, but yet we complain about them. Or are you talking about a victim mentality as it relates to what? What were you talking about? Well, I you know I'm talking about victim mentality. That I think as women, because we don't use our power for ourselves, then we mm-hmm. feel 
overpowered by other people where we don't have to be. And, of course, there are those situations um, where women are being victimized. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to make light of that. And in those situations, women need to use their power to protect themselves and often to protect their children. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to say, you know, women are never victimized. That happens. And I was talking to someone recently, a man, and I said, you know, it's in some ways kind of odd being a woman because um, you are so hated at times for just your sex, <laughs> you know, you know mm-hmm. or you're hated at times because you want to go to school. Or you're you're considered less than because somebody has a need or desire, and you are somehow there, and you're supposed to fulfill that. And it is kind of strange to walk around who we are, you know, in our in ourselves, and to be dealing with all of this all the time. But you know, we do. Yep, <laughs> we we do. do. We figure out how to deal with it, and um, that takes a lot of strength. I I so agree with that. It takes a lot of strength and it takes a lot of transparency and and, and you have to operate in truth because if we're in denial, if we're denying ourselves and we tend to make over, you know, exaggerate and make excuses for why can't you take time to go to the spa? Why can't you take time to, you know, do those things that make you happy? For me, sometimes it's, you know, a a manicure or a pedicure. Sometimes I want to go to the museum, but then I feel guilty because, number one, I I could be working on my TV talk show. I could be working, you know, looking at some guest requests for the radio show. So I'm always still, I'm always working. I'm always working. So how do I get past that? Well, that's that's why I started with the first step that I started with, and and my first step is um, to make your crisis meaningful. Choose to develop conscious resilience. And people have said, why did you start there? And my answer is because crises is what frequently gets a woman's attention. You Mm -hmm. know, other things don't get our attention because we, we tend to prioritize other things, other people before ourselves. But if we're in a crisis, that kind of gets our attention. So my first step is, okay, you're in a crisis, develop conscious resilience. You know, start really thinking about how you're handling this and, you know, what what are you handling and what do you need and um, to really take your time with that as opposed to just being reactive um, to what is around you. Because when, you know, when we're reactive, um, which is, you know, we're using our resilience, but we're not processing that we're strong in, in how we're handling it. We're, we're trying to get through something as opposed to saying, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, you know, let, let me figure out what's going on here, which is how men tend to approach things. And in that way, we can learn from our male counterparts. Um, that we can, um, you know, be strong, um, even if some women are concerned. I was asked recently in a radio show, um, well, if we do what you're suggesting, are, are um, men going to feel emasculated? And I was um, kind of surprised by it. But that is kind of a hidden fear women have. If I'm strong, then I won't be desirable. So um, if you're in a crisis, you have no choice but other than to be strong, you might as well consciously use your strengths. <laughs> and that's the first step. 
consciously used your strength. Wow. Without feeling guilty, because see, it's that guilt thing for me. Is is <laughs> it just keeps resurfacing if I want to do something strictly for me? Um, and right. I hear a lot of women say that. Right, and that's where you know things like um, you know getting curious. When we're in a crisis, it's a good time to kind of you know I find myself doing this like. Okay, O'Gorman, how are you going to get yourself out of this one? You know? <laughs> you know, you know, and that can be a gateway to being curious about what we're going to do, and um, when we're in a crisis, you know, you know how we're going to handle it, and um, when we can deal with guilt in a number of different ways. But guilt is a guilt is a very interesting feeling, and can I? Uh, piece it apart a little, Loretta. Is that going to be okay with you if I do that? Um, yes, please. Oh, okay. Because guilt is a funny feeling. Guilty guilt is really a feeling I have. It's not really about the other person. It's a feeling about me. And you know, oh my goodness, what am I doing? It's a very backdoor way of taking care of ourselves. And so, what I'm saying to women: go in the front door. Say you mm. have me. How are you going to take care of yourself as opposed to going in the back door about, oh, should I do this or is it okay to do this? And it's something you want to do. And in many cases with women, it's something they need to do. Um, I went to um, see a gastroenterologist recently, and um, and she and I were talking. We started talking about my book and women, and she said she is amazed how many women come to see her. And um, the issue is, um, and may I be blunt on the phone, um, oh, yeah, they, don't take time, they don't take time to go to the bathroom in the morning, and they wind up seeing her. <laughs> so oh, wow. It's, it's even that simple, that direct, that basic about, um, you know, how we tend to not take our care of ourselves, and then we wind up seeing, you know, a gastroenterologist, which, you know, takes time and money and, you know, <laughs> but you yeah. know, we don't, all yeah, the things so we were stressing about and trying to avoid is a pay me now or pay me later kind of thing. You got it. Absolutely, absolutely. So, if we're in a crisis, we might as well kind of put on our hat and get curious and say, okay, how am I going to deal with this? And um, you know, how can I take care of myself? How can I nurture that maybe scared part of me, which? I call my, you know, the our inner child, that kind of remembered past of our of ourselves as young girls. How can I kind of hold her with one hand as I'm, you know, with my other hand tackling what it is before me? I I think sometimes we we get caught by our feelings and we don't use other parts of us. And um, I think we can hold our feelings as we also hold our skills. See that that I could go in a million directions with that statement you just made <laughs> because we we do and we oh my goodness you are opening so many oh my goodness my eyes are open to so many things as we're having this conversation okay I so, I knew this would happen listening to your past shows I knew this would happen with you because because <laughs> you are you are such an open strong resilient woman. And um, and one of the things that's very clear in your shows that you do is that you are curious and you're willing to kind of uh, push because you're curious. 
um, and and that is a wonderful quality to have, and you you model that for other women. Oh, wow! That is that is you know I I do it consciously, and then I do it subconsciously too, because yes. my heart is so filled with I want one women. Uh, of course, I have a ton of men who listen to the show, too, and this can apply to them, too. And if not, then they can use it to better understand, you know, the women in their lives that we do this thing on autopilot most of the time. Like you did that scenario, which I'm sure, oh, my goodness, that about the um, gastroenterologist or even the urologist, how we will not even take five minutes to go to the bathroom. And, you know, I'm I'm like this. I find myself just rushing in there taking care of business and coming straight out. I never stay in there. You know, even when I was in corporate America, I wasn't watched. I was accountable for for results. So nobody was saying you, you spent too much time away from your desk or you did this. So I had a very awesome job every time I was in corporate America. But I was still running there. You know, I wouldn't even take time to just say, you know, to relate, relax, and release or whatever, you know, you're supposed to do and count to ten and all that stuff. I'm always going from thing to thing. And so one thing I want to, I know I, I, I have some influence because I am on, in media, that I need yeah. to learn how to slow down and smell the roses too and not feel so guilty about any downtime and quit saying, I was better under pressure. I'm not good when I don't have 50 million things. That's not really loving Loretta. No, it's I'm not. I'm loving from and, a weakness. Right, and it may be that, you know, that you like stimulation and you like being excited, and that's all well and good. But um, if we break down the word recreation, which we all use, and we all say, oh, we need recreation time, if we break it down just a little bit, it's recreation time. Mm. And, and we all need... To, recreation time um and again we see this many times with our you know with our male partners they will have that saturday morning golf game or basketball game or um you know you know time with time with their guys and you know um many men you know since we're talking about the bathroom um you know many mm-hmm. men go in there and it's like their second office you know they spend a yeah. lot of time in the bathroom <laughs> and, and we can learn from that you know as busy as men are and men are busy too there are things that they do make time for that we can learn from and begin to do likewise and um Time for self is something that I think men do a much better job at than women tend to do. Um, I totally agree with that. Totally. And we can learn. We can learn from them. You know, they're they're our partners. When we can, and they can teach us just as we can teach them. Mm -hmm. Because when you were talking about the things that men um, take time to do and how they enjoy their sports, they enjoy um, playing pool, they enjoy you know their cars. That's enjoyment for them. That's get away for them. And so you hear the terms boys and their toys or whatever. But I'm thinking, what about women? What are what are we known for when it comes to playtime and recreation or recreation time? And all I can come up with when you made that statement is we go and get our hair, our nails, and our feet done. But that's just once a week or once every two weeks. It takes an hour, maybe two. And it's usually not for us. It's so that other people will, you know, feel good about it somehow. It's not for us, so I don't find that as a thing of toy or enjoyment. What do you think about that? Well, I I totally agree, and yet, and and as women, um, we have this very strange relationship to our body. 
You know, we mm-hmm. and um, on one hand, we don't allow ourselves to be as physically active as, by the way, most women would like to be because we don't have time. Um, and on the other hand, we um, tend to, um, you know, be angry at our body all the time because it's not where we want it to be. And so um, I, I have family in Prince Edward Island, Canada, which most people have never heard of, but it's the smallest providence in Canada. And my female cousins who are my age um, um, have been throughout their whole childhood a um, member of a female hockey team. And uh, they, go out th- they go out there and they play. Now, Canada, this part of Canada is cold. It's remote. <laughs> there ain't a whole lot going on. And um, <laughs> they, but they play hockey. And it's part of that. It's also cultural up there. Hockey is huge. But it's, hockey is not just for men. It's for women. And so what can we create in our community with our friends um, that will allow us to physically get in touch with this body that we spend our whole life in? That's a great question. And although I think it was rhetorical, I really like for women and you know to answer that, or even men that are listening, help us answer that. What can we create um, as it relates to physical activity, physical exercise that women can can do and commit to? Because we need it for so many reasons, not just for vanity reasons, because we want right. to you know have you know our bodies to look like we want them, them to, but for health reasons, we have. To, I don't care what size you are how much you weigh, movement is good for your body, whether you're a 2 or you're a 22. Movement, some type, is good good, good good, good, for our bodies, our minds, and our souls. So we do need to, to take time out to enjoy some kind of physical out, um, outdoor activity would be great, but even if you do it indoors. And for some reason, we just don't get it. I don't understand. We just don't get it. Well, we per- we prioritize everything else ahead of it, and then we're exhausted. And um, and again, we can learn from our children. We can learn from our our male partners, because that's that issue, physically moving in some way, it, it tends to be much higher up on the priority level uh, for them than as women we make it for us. And it's a way. Again, it gets really into my second step, if you will, which is. Um, Uncovering what I call your hidden resilient voice, uh, that's the voice each of us have inside of us. And um, it's a voice that for many of us is very low and very quiet and very tentative, but it's the voice that tells us what we should be doing. And if we listen to that voice, um, sometimes it may feel like it's complicating our life because we're being, um, we feel these urges to do things which we don't have time for or, um, you know, will mean that we're going to say no to somebody. But nevertheless, those are the things that are the right things for us to do. And um, so it's about listening to ourselves um, and, you know, turning up the volume in that and using our own wisdom to determine what's right for us. We use our wisdom to determine what's right for our children. We do that to determine what's right for our friends. We use our wisdom certainly in our workplace. We don't tend to use our wisdom as much with ourselves. Wow. This, I mean, you were, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I'm taking this conversation 
Um, first of all, Dr. O'Gorman, very, very personal. I feel like although I wanted to show for the, you know, the thousands and thousands of people who listen to the show, I wanted that for them. I wanted them to feel better. I wanted them to take heed to what you're saying. I want them to purchase your book and to read it so that they can heal themselves um, mentally, physically, spiritually, and become better. How to? I want them to learn about those girly thoughts and how to access their personal power. I want all of that for them. But now what I'm 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 hearing in my spirit is I need to want that for Loretta. I need to because I can, I love to lead by example. But this is one thing where I feel like I have dropped the ball. Yeah. I have dropped the ball because I have not done it. And I've had great conversations. I know all the great cute little words to say <laughs> to yeah. help inspire somebody else and encourage them to do better, um, to take better care of themselves and have that meat on. But I have um, not done well at that myself. And so I feel like if I admit it publicly to you, Dr. Gorman, see how you <laughs> see how awesome you are? You get me to admit this on public radio. <laughs> I, I am. Um, I have to confess, I have the superwoman syndrome, so I need to go into counseling. I need a twelve-step program, or or at least a seven-step um, personal power program. So I'm here and I'm listening to you. So you will help me and help my thousands and thousands of listeners. So first thing I think oh, we good. need to do is just commit to it. What do you think? What What is the first thing busy superwoman syndrome um, women need to do first? Well, I you know, I think you're very right. It's to it's to commit to it and then try it out just a little bit. Um, you know, I, I'm not talking about change your life, dump your partner, you know. What I'm saying is listen to yourself and listen to what you are saying you need, which is for most women a very hard thing to do. Um, so you just do it little by little. Little by little, what are you saying you need? How do you listen to yourself? Um, for some people, um, this is an issue of really figuring out how to take up more space in their life. Um, you know, we allow other people to have a lot of emotional space in our life, but not ourselves. Um, it's a question of, you know, how do we talk to ourselves? Are our dreams important to us? Um, is that how we talk to ourselves? Some people dream, some people don't. Is it that little nagging voice? Well, maybe we should, um, you know, turn up that voice um, and really, you know, focus on what that voice is saying to us. Is it just a sense we get within us um, that's, you know, more, you know, just, you know, kind of shapeless and, we're not hearing anything, but we're just, it's kind of like this knowledge just kind of like settles in and <laughs> and there it is, you know. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and, you know, so how do we, how do we be in touch with ourselves? And for all of us, it's different. It's different at different times in our lives. It's um, different, um, you know, person to person. But the thing is, there is something in us that is, really speaking to us about what it is we need and what is right with us and what is strong with us. And, you know, as we're driving to work, you know, as we're, you know, chopping vegetables, um, we can visualize that inner voice and um, really work to develop it just like we develop any other skill we have. I mean, most of us were not born 
um, knowing how to keyboard, but we figured it out, you know. So it's, um, you know, it's a skill, and we can learn how to develop that skill within us. Okay, so since we change, if okay, if the scenario is what we said earlier, what the girly thoughts are that the negative girly thoughts, how do we change those negative girly thoughts that we're not pretty enough, we're not tall enough, we're not short enough, we're not thin enough, we're not um, big enough, we're not good enough, we're not pretty enough, whatever those negative girly thoughts are that only girls have, because guys obviously don't have this problem at all with negative messages, and if they do, they handle it well, because they're confident whether they are. They have different negative messages. I mean, believe me, the, the guys, they've got, a lot of negative messages, but it, they're not about not being strong. What guys have is they are told repeatedly that they shouldn't act like a girl, that they shouldn't be vulnerable, they shouldn't feel, you know, what are you being, you know, a sissy, what are you crying for, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, they, yeah. They've got their own thing, but, you know, this is just, you know, focusing on we women and um, that, you know, I think, I think we can actually, by us being strong and taking care of ourselves, we can maybe help our men be also strong. And for them, it means being vulnerable. You know, most women I know say they want a guy who feels. And God help most of them if they have a guy who feels because they don't know what to do with them. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We, oh, my goodness. That's a, that's a, that's is another show, Dr. O'Gorman. That's right. And we ask for things and then we give them then how we don't appreciate them and we, um, you know, we devalue them. So, and that becomes, you have to learn how to be more um, specific in what you ask for because sometimes you don't want a guy who's more vulnerable. What you really want is something totally different, but you just stated it that way. So we have to learn how to, you know, we have to know what we really want. And a lot of women, when it comes to men, and these are, this is based on my own personal opinions and conversations with other women, that they really don't know what they want. And I, I, I can say I can put me in there too, but right now my focus is so much on building this show um, that I don't have. I won't say I don't have time. I'm not making the time because we all have the same 24 hours. So I'm not making yeah. the time for that right now. But when I hear women say, I want a guy like this, like this, and he has to have this. I'm like, okay, but here you are, but you want him to be way up here. So right, right, how right. does that work? <laughs> right. Well, it comes you into something about, you know, we want we want guys to take care of us. And what I'm saying in my book, well, you can have a partner and he can take care of you, but you've got to take care of you too. You know, it's mm-hmm. not it's not so um, that's his job and this is your job because then you resent it. Now, few women today really just want to be homemakers. I mean, some do, and God love them. But most women want some sense of power and efficacy in the world. Um, they they want to have a career. We have more and more women going to college. Um, they, they want to have power in the world. Um, and that's wonderful. And the, pro- the problem women have is, they, they have, we have achieved that. God knows we've just got combat pay for being in the armed services. <laughs> but, but then we go home to our, our second shift, and that's what's hurting women. And that's, that's, that's where we can really voice more what we want. Interesting research finding I'd like to share with you. Um, in a recent study, 
um, we know with couples, um, if you ask couples what's wrong in the relationship, many times men will say there's not enough sex. In a recent study that looked at housework and looked at level of sexual activity, they found that there is much more sexual activity in couples where housework is shared. Hmm. Yeah. And that now would you make may... sense to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> on the outside looking in, that yeah. I would see where that would be certainly true. Yeah. But I guess yeah, some but... couples aren't getting that memo, though. I'm <laughs> 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 not with a 50%, you know, divorce rate that we have in the United States or the good of America. But um, they need to talk to you. And I believe that if women really get it, who they are, and they realize that they are resilient and they realize that their value, that I just believe that it will help make marriages stronger. It will help make relationships stronger and last longer if women just knew their value and they knew, um, I don't want to say place, but if they knew where they fit in with those values and they value themselves because then you can, like they say all the time, you can't really love somebody until you love yourself. So. That's right. That's right. And we can ask somebody to do for us what we're not willing to do for ourselves. Um, and I think we need to accept ourselves if we want to be accepted by other people, um, you know, especially our partners. Um, we need to love ourselves if we want our partners to love us. Um, otherwise it's, it's this burden that men feel, and they do feel it, about how they have to fill in all these gaps and they can't do it, so they close down. Um, and I think we can help them not feel so burdened by doing our work on ourselves for ourselves. Absolutely, because like you said, because they cannot, you know, make us happy because we, we that's something that we have to learn to do for ourselves. They can't fill every a minute of our their days trying to reassure us, and if they did, it still wouldn't work because we have to have that within ourselves. You have to love who you are at this point in time. You got to love that person. You got to love who that person used to be, so that you know you don't try to project that onto other people. And, and you said something that was really profound, and that's that we're projecting all our issues and our limitations onto the next generation, which is why we see this reoccurring. Um, generation after generation, that women um, are not um, healthier or wiser because we still have not learned something that's so personal and intimate, and that is to love and accept who we are. Now, I still understand the value of working on things, improving things, and learning to do things and becoming wiser. I know there's a place, but we have to slow it down to just love where we are right now first is what I think. Right, and and that's where our resilience can be kind of an anchor for us in in that, um, you know, and um, that moves in in some ways into my my third step, which is to really create helpful boundaries. Um, and uh, the subtext for that step is to take charge and stop setting yourself up. And uh, when I was writing this, I I worked with the world's best editor, and um, she crossed that helpful and she put in healthy. And I crossed out healthy, and I put in helpful. And she sent me a note. We we got to talk about this. So this, you know, we did. And she said, "Well, everyone wants health, healthy boundaries." I said, "I don't." And she said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Because that word healthy has become so overused, 
and I find myself, I find women beating themselves up because they're doing this and this isn't healthy and that's not healthy. So I, I've reduced it down to helpful. Is what you're mm. doing helpful to you? And that's a very simple question that usually most of us can answer. Is this a helpful boundary? Is this a helpful decision to you? It may be helpful to someone else. Is it helpful to you? And if it's not helpful to you, how can you make it helpful to you? And because when we don't do that, we wind up setting ourselves up. We wind up getting pissed off. We wind up then eating too much or drinking too much or going to our doctor and getting that prescription because we can't sleep. And it's Mm -hmm. a cycle that we can change by, again, coming back to ourselves, our strengths, and in this step, what is helpful to us. Wow, what is helpful to us? I'm glad that you you just said something too that triggered a, a question I wanted to ask you about. Um, we have to have those little pills to help us sleep, and as, as we know, we already know that I'm so type A and that I'm always going in a million directions. And I am one of those people who has major sleep problems, issues, or whatever you want to say, I don't know how to turn my mind off so that I can get a good night's sleep. And then again, that will lead to another question. What's a good night's sleep for me uh, is still helpful and healthy, but it may not be what the the natural norm is, or is there yeah, Absolutely. I, I have a very, very good friend um, who um, sleeps five to six hours a night. That's all she needs. Uh, she wakes up in the morning. God love her. She's running almost every morning. <laughs> the weather, you know, I, I think she's decided when it's, ten, when it's 10 degrees or lower, she's not going to run. That was her new decision this winter. But, you know, she, she doesn't need much sleep. Most of us need more. And um, how do we turn off our mind? Um, there are simple techniques. I, I have some in the book about how we can turn off our mind and focus on our ourselves, focus on our breathing, um, simple things we can do. You know, nothing is, um, you know, nothing is foolproof, but, again, it's about skills and developing skills and muscles in places that we need them to take care of ourselves. So there are ways you can learn to turn off your mind by focusing on your breathing. Um, I have many of excuse me, my patients um, get involved in yoga, not just for the physical exercises, but also for the different breathing techniques that they will learn in a yoga class. Um, So I think yoga is a wonderful way of beginning that process, but of course, that takes time, it takes commitment. <laughs> I was just thinking that where would I fit that in? But I right. Guess it well, is that's, why, that's where making yourself a priority and saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to spend 12 bucks a week and go to a yoga class for an hour and 15 minutes and I'm worth it, you know? And I promise you, Loretta, nothing will change and you will feel better. Oh, wow. You will feel better. And um, just the fact that we make, we kind of crack our universe and make some space for ourselves begins to be healing in and of itself. Um, and yoga is just wonderful. There are other techniques that are similar to yoga that are helpful. Um, but, um, you know, that is a beginning place to say, how do I begin to, you know, address 
a very active creative mind <laughs> so i can i can rest <laughs> <laughs> I, and and i've done those and you said something that was that has really helped me and that's when i remember to do it and i take the time to do it but breathing exercises really do help you fall asleep and get a, a good night's nice rest they yeah. work every time i use them correctly i use it correctly it does work for me it has worked so I don't have to take, you know, something to fall asleep because I hate taking a pill to yeah. fall asleep because then i got to take something to get awake. So yeah. <laughs> I don't want to And that starts a cycle that is, it yeah, does. it starts a cycle that is, you know, doesn't have us usually feeling good about ourselves after a while. So we can, there are things we can do. You know, there are things we can do to help ourselves. Um, and sometimes um, with, you know, with, with people who, you know, may need to take a, a a prescribed sleeping pill or an over-the-counter sleeping medicine. Um, it's It can be because the body has forgotten how to go to sleep. Um, so we, if we take something one night, it may be good not to take it a second night, you know, just to kind of see can we begin to kind of like jumpstart ourselves to begin to, um, you know, take care of ourselves to take care of ourselves so we can really get the rest we need, um, which is such a sweet thing to be able to do. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. take, doing those breathing exercises, um, um, really what I recommend for women to do is to put themselves to bed. So many of us are mothers. We know how to put our children to bed. Can we put mm-hmm. ourselves to bed? Can we make that a very quiet transition time where, we take care of ourselves and we kind of tuck ourselves in um, so we can rest. Um, we know how, Again, we know how to do it for others. Can we do it for ourselves? Wow. And I like how you, you stated earlier about how we want, we won't make ourselves a priority, but we expect our mate to make us their priority. Right. So, and I'm like, that is a little twisted and it never hit me until you said that. That yeah. that is crazy that we have that kind of expectation and we project it onto people when we have not made ourselves a priority. And right, I and, and I'm not saying I'm not saying our mate shouldn't make us a priority. Of course they should, but we oh, should too. It shouldn't be instead of, because that right. then promotes we're a victim and we're a victim because he's come home tired and he's not giving us a back rub and you know, woe is us as opposed to, you know, we haven't, we've done too much, um, we haven't asked for the back rub. I mean, there are all these scenarios that get played out in relationships. And God knows, I've over my years of being a psychologist, I've seen so many couples in. And um, a lot of what happens is preventable just by if women were more focused on expressing what they need that we would like prevent so much of what tends to happen when things start going off the rails. <laughs> you know what, that will be a show, again, another show topic, how <laughs> we expect people, to, you know, our the men in our lives, even our sons, I see that we expect everybody to read our minds instead of being able to um, verbally ask for what we need. And yeah. my sons have taught me so much when it comes to that. And then we'll say, well, I don't care if you go to the store, if you go hang out with your friends, when we really, really do care, that yes. we want them to go, but we won't say, hey, can you just not do that tonight? Can you, how about considering staying home with me? Or can you just, instead of two hours, can you just do one hour, you know, make some compromise? But we will just have an attitude and we'll treat them differently. And we do, and I've 
done this to my sons, you know, too, where I really didn't tell them exactly what I wanted. And if something wasn't okay, I said it was okay. And then I suffered and I treated them differently. So how do we stop that? And I guess it's just being honest and saying what you want. Right. Well, first we have to acknowledge what we want to ourselves. <laughs> and then and and that's and that's that step two, beginning to listen to that resilient voice, that voice of our own wisdom that tells us um, you know, what it is we need. And um, you know, step four is to protect our heart and love resiliently. You know, you were speaking about your sons and I have sons too. Um, um we need to be able to love love our children, love our partner, love our friends, but we also have to love ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it, it can't be one or the other. As women, we tend to do this whole kind of, you know, off and on thing, you know. I, you know <laughs> I'll do all this for you, and then, you know, I guess the contract is you're supposed to do all this for me, but I never <laughs> let you know what it is, and then I'm pissed off, and, you know, then that starts my anger cycle of then self-medicating however I'm going to do that, whether it's exercising too much. I see some women who are kind of like gym rats, but mm-hmm. to an extreme that's not helpful to who they are. Um, but we need to learn to love others as we love ourselves, that it's not one or the other. We can do both. Um, I, you know, I was in um, Las Vegas doing some training and being interviewed, and I was, you know, I don't gamble, but I was. there's no way you can kind of walk through hotels in Las Vegas unless you're kind of going through the casinos. And it struck yep. me that women, women tend to love how they gamble. They kind of like throw it all on the table. <laughs> or they don't play at all. Yeah. Yeah. Or they totally hold back, you know. And, uh, um, Two so things, like, stop and go fast, yeah. That's right. It's like, so it's like it's learning It's learning that dance of, of intimacy, if you will, um, and um, that we can protect our heart and we can love, and it doesn't have to be that we just jump in and we just hope it works, but, you know we can use our strengths and our skills to figure out what we're doing and how to take care of ourselves. Again, you said something else that just triggered, and I know we only have about five more minutes left in the show, and uh, we talked about the first four steps, and I really want people to purchase the book, but if you want to just, um, you know, run through real briefly, just tell them what the other three steps are. But you said something, and um, now it just flew out of my mind. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm always going to the next thing, and that was so good what you said. And now I'm like, okay, I want to hear the next three steps. I want people to, under, to know the steps so they can go out and buy the book and read through them and digest them and inhale them and exhale them so that they can um, take back their personal power. So we talked about the first four. What are the other three, five, six, and seven? Okay, five is to become strong in the hurt places, to really heal our wounded self. And all of us in life get hurt. I mean, that's um, mm-hmm. just part of just what happens. And if we think about our body, frequently um, when we've, uh, you know, had a big cut in our flesh, um, scar tissue builds up. And the the flesh there is a little thicker, it's a little more protective of that area than other areas. And um, we can heal. In fact, we can even become stronger in the parts of us that have really been hurt and when we use our resilience. 
um, that it doesn't have to be that we're just wasted and we stay wasted by um, you know our, this heartbreak. That we can we can really um, heal ourselves by using our strength. And um, step six is one of my favorite. Think positively; it's the best revenge. Um, you know, somebody <laughs> has hurt you. You know, you're feeling all the feelings you have, but when you get back to feeling positive, that's the best way of sticking it back to them. You know, it's like uh, <laughs> you, you, you got me down, but you didn't keep me down. <laughs> Watch out, I'm back. Exactly, you know? yes. That's right, to be positive. And the last step, um, it's in, in some ways the most spiritual of all the steps, is to really to develop gratitude for who we are and what we have learned. All of us have been through things that we wished we never had to go through. We we have been through things where we prayed, if we, if we believe in prayer, that we would be lifted from these situations that were just totally overwhelming. But nevertheless, we have been through them, and they have changed and shaped us. And here we are today, and we can be grateful for the us that has emerged from all this. Um, mm-hmm. All of us are like this phoenix. We go down, we come back. Um, and we can develop gratitude for the us who has endured and has learned and is still in the game. So that's the seven steps. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can't wait to read the book and its completion and finish it. And um, really, not only read it, but I want to implement um, a little by little some of the changes so that I'm not overwhelmed and I'll say forget this because I don't have time. I have to learn to make time. But Dr. Yes. Gorman, you've been an amazing guest. I thank you for your patience and sharing your expertise and um, I'm better. I feel so energized and I know what I need to do and I will make appointments with Loretta to have <laughs> more time with her. <laughs> Terrific. And I will thank you so much progress. for a wonderful show. Yeah, so how can they find you? We have one sec, one minute left, and I want people to know how to find you. Well, they can look me up on my website, Patricia O'Gorman, O-G-O-R-M-A-N.com. My book is The Resilient Woman, and it's in your bricks-and-mortar bookstore as well as available online um, through, you know, the major online carriers of books. So, um, and... I invite your readers to read the book and email me through my website. I do answer emails, and I would love to hear their thoughts. And I also have a blog um, called The Powerful Woman, and they can also um, post comments on my blog. So I would love to hear from your from your listeners. All right. So I want to make sure everybody got that, and it will be on our website as well. Thank you again, Dr. O'Gorman, for your time. Thank you all so much for listening. And remember, one of her most famous quotes today was, guilt is a back doorway to how we take care of ourselves. Use the front door, people. And we'll see you tomorrow on Loretta McNair Live. Present <laughs> radio show at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you.